0: Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi,
1: I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs.
0: This week, we're going to talk about delivering awesome customer service for a low ARPU, that's average revenue per user product. Uh, Rick wants customer service to be a key differentiator for his new business, but it's not even clear that it's possible given that he won't make much money per customer. So we're going to dive into that later, but first, let's give some updates. So what have you
1: been up to this week, Tyler? Uh,
0: Not a lot. You know, the year's winding down. Um, So I I basically have two updates. One is, you know, this is the time of year where if you're running a business, you probably are trying to update financial stuff. Have you been doing this type of thing yourself?
1: I literally just wrapped up my stuff right before this yeah.
0: podcast. Nice. I finished it at like six this morning. I woke up a little early and did it. Um, I have a pretty unsophisticated, like fi- I basically just have one spreadsheet. I call it the cash flow summary. I don't even know if that's the right term for it. I know nothing about finance, but uh, it's just kind of estimating what our expenses and, and revenue will be so that we can figure out things like, okay, at the end of the summer, c- can we afford to give any job offers to our interns? That type of thing. Um, and I actually had a pretty good realization every year I get a little bit closer to this thing actually being right. Uh, It's still like wildly off every year. But one thing I realized is a couple of the categories of spending, uh, I set them to like automatically increase by a certain amount each month to like account. For example, hosting is one of these where it's like, we get more customers. So our hosting costs go up, you know? Um, and so I, I had it on pace with what our growth was when we were growing faster. And I realized I was way overestimating what our future costs would be because of that. So, magically, like, out of thin air, a bunch of revenue. It doesn't matter much this year because compounding doesn't take effect yet. But over, like, the two- or three-year timeline, like,
1: our financials like
0: a whole lot better now that I've corrected that. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah, Yeah. There's I two just, ways. There's two things that happen when you look at your financial let's just call it your model, whatever that is. Either you find an error that makes the future look way worse, or you find an error that makes it look way better. Uh, rarely is mm-hmm. it not impactful.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your like worst, uh, surprise financial thing. If you're willing oh, to say, man, I
1: can't for this for right now, just like ever, ever. I did all. So I pretty, I built fairly sophisticated models from okay. a startup standpoint. Um, Probably the worst one is, is I can't think of a specific, um, but the worst one probably recently was, I actually just did this for a client, um, consulting client uh, earlier in the year. And he actually called me a couple of weeks ago and mm-hmm. was like, Rick, um, can you explain this one assumption for me? And I was actually double uh, calculating payroll taxes on mm. bonuses uh, because of the way I built the model. So he basically came up with... I think they have they have somewhere between fifteen hundred employees that all get bonuses, but all of a sudden there was like a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars available in the budget that weren't weren't there wasn't there before. <laughs> you you just did them such a favor. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing is I generally when I have errors, I have errors to the positive so, like mm-hmm. in other words, they they're overly conservative errors kind of things. Um, but that was an, that was an embarrassing one that happened with a client. I just Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. Uh, Yeah, most of mine have been conservative,
0: where when you realize you're like, oh, I actually have more money than I thought. Um, One time we realized our payroll software had been withholding uh, St. Louis City has this 1% payroll tax that all everyone who works in the city has to pay. Our payroll software was withholding that it was paying all our other taxes, like federal state, all that. But it wasn't paying that one. And we didn't know that. So our, em- our employees weren't making the money, but then it was just sitting in our bank account. And it's it's like 1%. It's small enough we didn't notice. But then the city was like, yeah, so you owe us like $60,000. And we're like, ugh. <laughs> That's no fun. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. uh, So anyway, yeah, I kind of uh, realized it's not that things were like looking bad looking out over the next two or three years, but it went from kind of like, oh, we we really need to grow at a decent, you know, we need to have a decent to optimistic outcome for this all to like look really good and now with this adjustment i made i'm like oh we can just kind of chill where we're at and the, the money all works so that's fun
1: yeah i just had the exact opposite experience uh Ugh. leg up so i was I, I looked good um through like july of next year now assuming no new income mm-hmm. and now like that is cut in half so i have like runway through april like mm. middle of April, and it was just because I'd miss like had more expenses in the last uh, six months than I expe- or the last uh, thirty days than I expected. Um, specific start up to last, I had no idea how much we were spending on transcriptions. Um, yeah, and the so
0: transcriptions are expensive.
1: Yeah, and so uh, you know, I actually owe you a lot of money for that. So that was one. <laughs> uh, but like then I going to microconf, some things that were more like. Uh, decisions not based on finance, but like based on gut and intuition. There mm. were pretty big expenses that um, I finally caught up on today. And so it's kind of one of the sober... I had more of a sobering reality where it's like, man, I, it's not anything new, but uh, I got to go do this. The one thing I'll, yeah. I'll say about this though is it seems like this is the time of year to you kind of have to recenter yourself on what, re, what reality is, whether that's better than you thought it was or worse than you thought it was. But just getting to that reality is a relief because now you can start working on changing it um, Mm -hmm. or improving the situation. So I feel good about it.
0: Yeah, I actually almost had that because before I had this realization, I was like, you know, man, if if, once again, not that anything would like not that we'd go out of business or anything, but I was like, if over this next year, growth doesn't pick up a little, I'm, you know, I I actually kind of got excited thinking about, wow, we're gonna we're gonna have to go after some growth stuff and. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to hustle a little bit to make this work, which th- there's some uh, a silver lining there of kind of like motivating you to get off your ass a little bit.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think like, mm-hmm. yeah, and it just it's like working, You I think throughout the year, oftentimes, or even a quarter or whatever time frame you have this, you, you develop this sort of you, you develop assumptions about what what reality is. Um, and until you really sit down and look at the numbers Test them, try to project out the future, think about what that looks like, bring in assumption, uh, you know, test your like the impact of your assumptions on your business and what it looks like from a dollars and cents standpoint. You really don't, ha- you don't really get it. Um, you don't, yeah. don't have that stomach feeling of, oh, shit, what if this happens? Or, um, you know, thinking about like all the you know, ramifications about of something not working out like you thought it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh, I don't like sure. it. I don't like that part of it. <laughs> it's it's healthy even if
0: it's unpleasant though but yeah. yeah um and then one other really quick update for me is uh a while back we had an episode about how to give offers to you know, how to give job offers basically and i was the point of the episode is i was saying i'm recruiting interns for next summer and all that so a couple updates on this first of all we have basically filled all three of our positions here i'm coach intern uh software engineer intern and coding fellow we have a a couple interviews still to do, but we've got enough people. We're confident we'll fill them all. Um, And we are 100% on job offers. Everyone we've given has been
1: accepted. So did did you change uh, something?
0: uh, I'm trying to think like uh, small changes, uh, partially based on what we talked on and other uh, other things I thought about. It didn't change so radically that I feel like this is probably a bit of an anomaly. One thing we did change is the the salaries are quite a bit higher this year. um, Combined with Every Like we discussed, every time we gave an offer, everyone who interviewed them sent an email to the person and was like, I heard you got an offer. Congratulations. Really want to work with you next summer. I think I did a better job of giving the offers, just a little more enthusiasm on on the phone. So slight tweaks. I I don't think I'm going to like bat a thousand forever, but uh, it went really, really well. And this is the first time we've ever filled all our positions in the fall. Normally we fill about half of them in the fall and then we go back in the spring and recruit the other half. So it went really well this year.
1: What are you going to do with all this free time? Uh, I don't
0: know. I'm going to have to, you know, start embezzling money so that we have to work,
1: work more on growth to make up for the losses. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Um, uh, yeah. What about you? Uh, let's see. So this is going to seem weird, but last week we recorded next week's episode, Mm -hmm. Uh, so, because we're both going to be on vacation, which is basically, was basically our annual reflection and decade reflection. And then thinking through the next year, uh, one of my things previewing that episode is playing more. So I actually already started that this week. I've skied and played basketball a couple of times, things I haven't done in a while. And it was really awesome. Um, I'm actually going to go skiing tomorrow morning, and then again on Saturday. So I should have skied wow. three or four times by the end of this week. And everybody uh, hates you, Rick. Yep, and it's it. Uh, it really does make a difference, but it's part of the reason re bringing some of these things back into my daily routine or weekly routine. Man, it's um, it's fatiguing me. Uh, my body. Yeah. I didn't realize how out of shape I was, and uh, I do this normal routine every morning for working out, but it does. It's not the same as plant like doing physical activity like sport sports um like basketball especially so i'm I'm proud of myself for doing that
0: yeah good job and i I really like i think it's a little bit of a hack to start your resolutions two weeks early or something if you're like build up all this hype like i'm gonna be a fat ass until january 1st and then i'm gonna go really hard i think it's a lot harder but if you kind of
1: ease into it it makes makes a lot easier yeah, I totally agree. I don't think I think I maybe was over aggressive this week, but hey, I'm I'm a I'm a bandaid pulling off kind of rip you know <laughs> ripping off kind of guy. Yes. <laughs> um, the other, I mean, we already mentioned this, but just tying up loose ends, especially financially, I'm, I've got my goals set for the year. Going to going to take some time over Christmas to just sort of spend some time on myself in the mornings and think through how uh, you know some, come up with some ideas on how to accomplish my goals, and uh, you know I'm looking forward to that. But uh, pretty much done with the year. Cool, it's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I like it. It is. It is. Um, now we got to figure out what's next with startup to last. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, we'll talk. We'll talk. We won't talk about that live today, but um, we'll talk about that after the episode. Yeah, and um, we
0: can. I mean, we already kind of teased. We're probably getting rid of the transcriptions. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's yeah. that's
1: one of the changes. Yeah, totally. So um, that's really the only unknown right now is just getting on the same page with where we want to put our time mm-hmm. and money from a podcasting standpoint with Startup to Last. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a pretty minor point compared to all the other stuff you're working on. Cool. Uh, well, for the topic, um, I was thinking of something that I'm worried about, but I don't, I'm not necessarily working on this problem right now, but it's something that I keep thinking about. And rather than let myself just sort of keep thinking about that, I thought, what? A, why don't I bring that topic to you? Um, since you're giving your experience with it, um, and maybe it will help relieve my anxiety around this. Even if I don't <laughs> do anything right away about it, it will at least make me feel better about it. So the topic is uh, that we're going to talk about today is delivering awesome customer service f- when you have a low ARPU or ARPU product. ARPU stands for Average Revenue Per User. Um you know, this could be uh, a business to business business. It could be a B2B business, uh, a B2C business, a business to consumer business. That doesn't matter. When you break it down to the user, uh, it, it's it's the same. Uh, however, you know, you, one of the things with Leg Up Health, the business I just launched, is that it's starting out as a direct to consumer business. So I've always, I've always worked with low A. ARPU products, but my last business, People Keep, was a uh, business-to-business business. So oftentimes we didn't even look at we, we did look at ARPU later, but our main metric early on was ARPC, average revenue per customer, because the customer brought multiple users. And we actually had, you know, so our our ARPU per month was $15 per user. But oftentimes we'd sell a $1,000 setup fee, and you know the, the average deal would be closer to 100, $120 bucks per month in terms of revenue. Um, with Leg Up Health, because it's a direct consumer, um, I'm, it'll probably be somewhere between $15 to $30 per user per month in ARPU. Let's assume $15 for purposes of this conversation. Um, but I'm not going to have that setup fee, and I'm not going to have. These um, uh, set up f- these, uh, you know, all w- multiple users at once types transactions. Yeah. So they'll probably have higher churn, all kinds of stuff oh, will be yeah. worse about this, yeah. probably. Yeah. And, you know, I know how hard it was for me to build customer service at LegUp. Um, I think you did it. You're doing an even better job. I'm sorry, not at LegUp, but at PeopleKeep. Um, it was hard. Uh, I know you're doing an even better job than I did at PeopleKeep by a long shot at Less Annoying CRM. Customer service is. Very, very important to me. Um, I want to, you know, if I look at who to aspire to, I want a team like yours. The, some, you know, some of the smartest people at the company are in customer service. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I think that's awesome. And, uh, but how do I, my, my anxiety is around how can I build that into the business model? um f- for a te- for 15 bucks a month per user. Yeah. And should I even be thinking about this right now? Maybe not, but it's keeping me up at night because I don't want to build a business that sucks offering service. Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, I have uh, I I love this topic. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um <laughs> do you want me to drive where we go or do you have an idea of how you want to approach this?
1: Well, I think um maybe I'll add a couple more pieces of context. Customer service is going to be a huge difference a differentiator for leg up health because um, it's actually what we're doing different. So, when you go look at the health insurance space, especially when people, go, when you're an, an individual consumer buying your own health insurance policy, if you go online and you fill in a form to get a quote for health insurance, you're going to get spammed with probably 10 calls because there's all these lead generation and lead sales. Most health insurance brokers, I mean, by most, I mean all insurance brokers. Spend 90% to 100% of their time promoting, like selling and enrolling a new client of theirs into a health insurance policy. And then when you actually need support throughout the year, they're gone or they're unavailable or they're unhelpful because they don't have time to actually deliver any sort of support. Leg Up Health's plan is to basically turn that on its head where we're going to spend. Very little time on the quoting and enrollment uh, process, and ninety percent of our time on the service. Um, And we think that that's going to lead to some word of mouth and and that sort of thing. So, I obviously, if our differentiation is customer service, I've got to live up to that. We've got to live up to that expectation. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think this business model works if I can't deliver customer service. Uh, because I won't be differentiated. Yeah. Certainly not as you've stated the business model. Exactly.
0: As as I think about it right now. Yes. Yeah. And there's a plan long-term to a different differentiator eventually might be the software that you offer or something, but you're kind of bootstrapping your way there by competing in the same playing field as normal insurance agents and basically just being better at servicing insurance clients, kind of the traditional way.
1: Correct. Yeah. So what what do I want to get out of this? I think I want to understand how you think about customer service at Less Noisy CRM, and see, and maybe we can we can dive into maybe the differences that h- how what you do at Less Link CRM may or may not apply at LegUp Health, given the differences in the business model. Um, I, I I'm hoping that this comes out, this outputs maybe some best practices that give me um, make me feel better about being able to tackle Mm -hmm. this as it comes up. Um, I'm, I'm open to the idea that, you know, I guess ultimately if I could leave this conversation and not worry about this anymore, uh, as much as I have been, that would be really huge. Okay.
0: I mean, I think I can sort of do that for you almost right off the bat here, because like the first thing I was going to say is I would break this into two things. One is how do you achieve that vision right now? And the other one is how do you build a business where, you know, there's 10 or 100 employees and you're still offering that same level? That's where it gets hard. But the reality is y- you almost don't need to figure out how to do it right now because you're going to be doing all the customer service. You're an expert. You naturally know how to talk to people. I almost feel like this will, for your first hundred or even potentially thousand users, this comes for free. You just do it naturally.
1: Yes. So I get. I definitely am not concerned about num- part one of that. Mm-hmm. I, I have the ability to deliver on this, but I'm not interested in building a an indie hacking business. I'm not interested in yeah. being a, a solo a solopreneur. Is that what they're called? One one yeah. one man shop. My biggest like scaling this is going to be really critical, and so that's what yeah. I have anxiety around number two. Right, and I think this is
0: really common. Even it's more important for you because you want customer service to be a differentiator. But I think almost every startup. Uh, has some level of like really awesome, unique service in the early days, because even if the product sucks and everything else, if a customer can talk directly to a founder, they're going to get a level of access you can't normally get. And I think most startups really hit this wall. As soon as it's even the second person that you're talking to, the founder, you know, if someone comes to you with a problem, you can just fix it immediately. If someone comes to an employee you hired, doesn't matter how talented they are, if you don't have the systems in place and you haven't empowered them to actually take action and stuff like that, it's really hard. So I think that it's smart to get ahead of this for sure. Thanks.
1: So I guess, um, given my situation, what where where would you like? Where would you recommend we start a conversation if the goal is to, by the end of this call, get me to a place where I feel better about this? Do I need to? Like, is this impossible? Um.
0: Well, I'm going to take this in a direction that I always take things in, which is I think a lot of this depends on if you raise money and who you raise money from, because it's not a coincidence that almost every company has bad customer service. And the reason is it's not profitable, really, to have good customer service. It's profitable in the sense that you can make money, but it's not maximally profitable. And that's why no one does it, I think.
1: My goal... that? Yeah, I totally agree. And I would just jump, jump ahead here and say, my goal here is not to make a, maximize profit. But are you, is that consistent with your goals for
0: fundraising? It's fine if your goal isn't to maximize profit, but are you like that basically rules out all venture capital? Probably.
1: I think for purposes of this conversation, it's bootstrapping the hundred percent of the way uh, leveraging. and, And so, so there should be no, perverse incentives other than my own perverse incentives uh to uh, to this yeah
0: that's what i always tell people you can bootstrap and be greedy but if you don't bootstrap you have no choice but to be greedy (laughs) um okay so that's great i i always think with lessening serum our number one competitive advantage is not customer service it's being willing to make less money off of a sale than everyone else's um and like it sounds like you're very much in that headspace right now so i You asked, is this possible? As long as you go into it with that expectation. And like, what does that mean? That means it's going to be a longer period of time doing this by yourself, probably. And when you do hire people, the growth is going to come slower and the margins are going to be worse. Like it it comes with real sacrifice, but the upside is the rest of the business is so easy because like no one's going to touch you on customer service. And that's what your customers care about. Does that all sound like,
1: you know, what you have in mind here? Totally. So, I guess um, I I agree with all that. I, I like the idea of just recognizing that that I'm going to be doing this alone for a longer period of time. That I don't think I had thought about that. I think that makes me feel better for some reason. That I could just just accepting that I'm a I got to do this alone longer. I, that mm-hmm. makes me feel better already for some reason. <laughs> the se- the second thing is. I hadn't thought about it from a context of margin, um, and what's a little bit different about this business in particular is that it's not a software business, um, technically. Uh, it, you know, it, it'll be a. It's not a software as a service business. It'll be a software enabled yeah, at least service. not yet. It, yeah, yeah. It, it'll it'll be quickly. It already is a software enabled service with the quoting tools that I've integrated. Um, but when you think about. What a so this revenue model will be based on the commission that that insurance companies pay brokers. What is that commission for? It's really a service fee, right? Like at the end of the day, the carrier is paying the broker or Leg Up Health in this case to service the policyholder. Yeah, they're outsourcing their own customer service to this army of independent insurance agents. And I think for the most part, like outside of what i would call um transactional costs of goods sold or the you know the the software hosting fees whatever is necessary to get the software enabled service up i could see putting 100% of the m- initial revenue into customer service
0: yeah that's fair although that's true that's approximately true with a typical saas company um the cost of employee i guess what you're saying is you don't you don't have to pay developers uh, that That's actually interesting. So every SaaS business is putting almost all their revenue towards payroll. But in a lot of cases, it'll be like nine developers to one customer service person. You're saying all of it can go to customer service.
1: Especially initially. Um, and it's like, yeah, because the software requirements to deliver on this, I think, are pretty low code slash no code. And what I'm starting to realize maybe is that I think I had aspirations to build more of a software component quickly. And I was trying, I'm, I'm honestly starting to go thinking about like, how do I contract this out? Do I need to bring on a co-founder? Going through all this cycles again that we talked about earlier in, mm-hmm. um, in this podcast season. Um, I, I think, yeah, like that's the key difference. I, I don't think I need to, I don't think I need a really complicated, sophisticated software to deliver on this software enabled service. And if I take all the money that would have been d- Invested back into the software product and invest that back into customer service. That's a really interesting idea that I don't think happens very often.
0: Yeah, I've maybe never heard about this. Um, now, I mean, to some extent, the less you have software and stuff, the more you really are just an insurance agency at that point. But setting that aside, the idea of a SaaS business with without product development costs especially you've accepted maybe you can do this by yourself for a little bit you can do all this yourself. What what I love about this is 6 months ago if you'd ask me like what might I be concerned about with you Rick like what hurdles might you face it's really that um most of your ambitions weren't things you could execute on by yourself but you didn't have a clear path towards having a co-founder. Um this is something you can execute on all by yourself which is just it's such a superpower. In SaaS, in any startup that you're trying to bootstrap, if you're not dependent on other people, you can do it for so much longer in a sustainable way. You can craft it around exactly what you want. And then as soon as you want to bring someone in, or rather, I should say, by the time you bring someone in, you've already got a business that's profitable and they're coming in on your terms, whether you're raising money or hiring people or anything like that. So I think this sounds awesome.
1: Yeah. And it sound, isn't this what you did? I mean, you had you and Bracken mm-hmm. basically hired your first employee before you went full time and that first employee was is now the head of customer service.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a little bit different in that our time wasn't being like my time was mostly product, not customer service. So I think in some ways you could even argue you're in a better position cuz I was spending 90% of my time building the product and 10% getting customers. You can spend 100% of your time getting customers
1: or 90 10 whatever. It's probably it's probably not 100%. Yeah, think it's probably like you know what? Like the, uh, that's probably that's what's going to reduce my anxiety is I need to look at time invested as differently than you looked at it, mm-hmm. which is 20% of my time can go to product. The other 80% has to go to customer service and and customer conversion, but I don't want to so- call it sales. Yeah.
0: Now, there's a grass is always greener thing here. There's a lot of upside to what you're doing. I think it'll get you revenue sooner and stuff like this. It's the classic services versus product comparison though with services you can make money faster but it's harder to make money while you sleep you don't have as much of a moat um so the the benefit to spending a lot of time with product it it's a lot it takes a lot longer to get the flywheel going but once it's going it's a little bit more it's like a stronger foundation so i think you're in a great position but one day the goal should still be to get that software moat
1: well today like i mean is it really a software moat these days it's pretty like it, it, it's getting easier and easier to build what's already been built. And it's, yeah. it's really like when I look at like true moats, it's, it has very, it's a combination of product service, customer acquisition, that pricing um, that leads to the moat, not, not one thing by itself. Yeah, I agree. So anyway,
0: yeah. So what I'm saying is I think you're in a great position. I think we just had a couple interesting insights about the all customer service thing. But also I bet over the journey, you will sometimes be tempted, like it would really be nice to have a product I'm selling instead of, you know, but anyway.
1: But the pro- in this case, I think the product is customer service. I know I know we're getting hung up on service versus product yeah. businesses, but in this case, I'm looking at productizing a service. Um, yeah. And the, in this so ca- your company's strength is going to be Basically, hiring people who can do this really well. Yes. And that is a product in and of itself that can make money while I sleep and is a moat. Yeah. It is what an insurance agency is. Um, but that's not what insurance be... agencies do. It's not what they do. They hire do, their but moms I mean, it's, it's the for $10 an hour to come sit in the office. And, you know, Go ahead. there's so many parallels between what
0: you're like. Insur- also, what Salesforce does is not work on their product. You know, most of Salesforce's revenue is going towards paying their own sales team and marketing. Um, so this is true in a lot of different industries. You you basically found an industry where everyone has gotten complacent and they're putting all their time into acquiring customers and not actually providing value. So you're basically just saying, I'm going to make a less annoying insurance agency, which I love. I think that's, that's
1: exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, that's I, That's business number one here. And I think Mm -hmm. if I can do that, I'm going to have an opportunity that you have right now, which is what is the second product? Mm -hmm. Have I tapped this out? Number one, if so, what's the next product?
0: Okay, I love it. So let's dive into specifics here. So, you know, you don't need to figure out your short term customer service because you're just going to do it naturally. You've accepted the potential downsides, but also upsides of going like really heavy customer service for a low ARPU product. Let's talk about. How do you actually start building the team and like offering the service and all that, right?
1: yeah, I guess what I would be more interested now is how do i how do i do do this myself in a way that at what point do will i i guess question one is at what point will I know that I'm able to hire mm-hmm. uh my first customer service person? That's probably where we should start.
0: Yeah, well you'll you'll be in a different position than me. I needed to hire somebody to free up my time to do other stuff. You may have that a little bit, but I think unlike me, your yours is I guess it's there's some similarities. To me it's when are you well, sorry, let me back up. If you're doing high touch customer service for a low ARPU product, it only works if it's replacing other functions of the business like sales. If you're doing like high-touch sales followed by high-touch customer service, it's not going to be profitable. So I think you need to look at it like... it's. This is why we call our customer service people CRM coaches. It's not just customer service. It's customer service, sales, account management, customer success all rolled into one. I would strongly encourage you to take that approach. Ooh, can we stay there for a second? I don't want to interrupt your thought,
1: but uh, I don't want to no, lose this. It. Okay. The, you guys call your customer service team coaches because they're not really just a customer service team. They're, they're a full funnel customer service team versus a support mm-hmm. team. Right. Customer service
0: implies it being entirely reactive. The customer comes to you and asks you a question and you answer it and the transaction's over. Um, we don't want, A, we don't want it to be transactional. We want it to be an ongoing relationship. And B, we don't want it to be purely reactive. We want to reach out to the customer and say, like, this is a way it's not customer service. When they sign up, we send them an email and we say, You want to get on the phone with us and we're going to help figure everything out for you. That's even though it sounds like a customer service call to the customer, it's a sales call. We did the math. And if they take this call with us, they're X percent more likely to pay us. And we actually make money off of that call.
1: Yeah, I really like the mentality of a coach. I think that that's ultimate. So I guess I I need to go build this coach position. Mm -hmm. Where does it start and where does it end? And what, how, you know, I guess let's start there with like what the role is. And then I can focus on, I guess, once we define what it is, I'd like to dive into how much it costs to hire someone who can do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess, and then I can't hire someone until I can afford that person. And then when's the right time to bring that person on? I guess it's, I, I guess I can answer that question right now, which is what with whatever the scope is, the right time to hire them is when that scope is taking all of my time and I can't invest it in the other areas of the business that need to be invested in yeah and maybe even beyond
0: that like if you could be having more time if there are more leads or whatever you want to call them coming in then you have time for then uh what is what's the word Jason Lemkin always use accretive or Accretive, accretive,
1: accretive hires
0: yeah, it's accretive to hire the next person if you're turning away business because you can't handle it. That seems like a pretty nice forcing function for you to say, it's all on you until you're so busy you're turning people away.
1: Okay. Then you hire the person and they're profitable. I like that. Um, I like that a lot. So tell me uh, tell me about what this role is, where it starts, where it ends.
0: Yeah. So what I would do is, so I, my personal experience, I think you and I are both good managers, leaders, whatever, but in very, very different ways. One of the ways in which I'm pretty weak is I found for myself, I can't, I'm really bad at delegating to someone something that I don't know how to do. Um, I don't think that's as true for you, but what my experience here would be is I'm not going to hire anyone to do something that I'm not already really good at. And so the the process is not just go out and do your thing naturally, but turn everything you do into a system that you can follow. And then hiring that person is going to be a piece of cake. And uh, I'll also add the more of it, like once you systematize what you're doing, I think what's going to stand out to you, and this is key to providing customer service to low ARPU customers, you have to be able to identify what parts of this am I providing unique value and what parts of this could like a tutorial video or something more automated handle? And if you can say 60% of Rick's effort could be automated away, automate it before you hire the next person, I think.
1: It's almost like I need to do this for long enough to identify what can be productized and what has to be provided via human touch. And until I am clear about that, I probably shouldn't hire someone.
0: I think that's right, and let me give you just so you can kind of visualize exactly what this might look like. So, if if someone signs up for a free trial of Lessening CRM, the first page they see is called the Beginner's Guide. It's I think eleven videos, just how to add a contact, how to use pipelines, all the different stuff. Right. Every time we hire somebody, we start training them for demos. Demos is the hardest thing CRM coaches do. We start training them maybe two, three months into their time working here for that. One of the main things we tell them is. When you're doing a demo, the more your demo is like our beginner's guide, the worse it is. The goal should be if they want that information, they go watch those videos and you pick up the conversation like at the end where the beginner's guide ends. And so you say, okay, let's get your account customized. Let's import your data. It's more like consulting and concierge onboarding than it is like teaching someone how to use it or doing actual customer service. I think that's a good framework to think about it with.
1: I like it. It's basically like coaching them through a a process, a funnel versus um, just, Hey, what's your problem? It's like, no, no, Mm -hmm. we, you know, we're starting here. We're at point C right now. My, my job is to get you to point D or decide that you don't want point D. You don't want to go to point D and you want to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm your, I'm your coach here. Um, How's that different from when someone encounters a problem and reaches out post sale?
0: Yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you first of all from our experience, the dramatic majority of like customer service bandwidth is taken up by new people. So, like one thing that changes is the amount you are going to have to talk to people will go way way down. Or if it's anything like, you know, typical SaaS. Um, but yeah, that the, that type of thing I think is pure customer service. It's like they ask you a question, you it's answer transactional. it. It's a yeah, transactional. You know, you can do a little customer success, and there, or, you know, you could say, "Hey, I just wanted to reach out and see how things are going and all that." But uh, I think that'll be a pretty small minority of your time. I think back to the idea that this isn't customer service; it's a mixture of sales and customer service. Your most of the time should be going towards people who are in the process of making the buying decision and you're swaying them with the
1: customer service
0: rather than just supporting people who are already customers.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, One thing that's different about this than a typical SaaS product is that if they're not, if they don't call, they're not using this. If they don't use customer service, are they really using the service? Right? Like, um, so, but I guess it doesn't matter because as long as they're happy, and, like at the end of the day, like the the service here is don't have anxiety around your health insurance policy. Feel good about your health insurance coverage. Know that you can call when you get and get yeah. a trust get a trusted person on the phone or chat when you need to. And, and it, they're not paying you anything. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. So as long as so. it's like, it, once you get them, <laughs> as long as you don't like screw up. No matter how much they call or don't call, they're going to stay with you.
0: Yeah. And I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying like you could take what we're talking about here to a logical extreme and it ends up being what current insurance agencies are. It's like, well, okay, yeah, we'll spend all our time on sales. And once we get them as a customer, we'll never talk to them again. But the the point isn't you don't want to be there for them. The point is nobody wants to spend Time getting interrupted by their insurance company or by their CRM company to talk. Hey, I just wanted to talk CRMs with you. They're going to be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I, I was living my life perfectly hey. happily. I don't care about CRMs. So the point is, get out of their hair unless they need you.
1: The other point here too that you that you are making is that coach coaches empower customer service people transact, um, and I think what. What I'm really trying to do here is what brokers aren't doing, which is empowering a consumer to understand and know what health insurance plan options they have, and then doing the same thing once they pick a plan. Oh, here's what it covers and doesn't cover, and here are your you know, options. And that a lot of that is just taking the time up front not to sell, like a hard sell it's to coach, Hey, you know, we're not going to tell you what, what's best here. We're going to guide you through making your own decision on what health insurance plan to buy. And then we're going to coach you through understanding what that health insurance plan covers. We're not just going to feed you uh, transactional solutions.
0: Yeah. And I bet there are a lot of really low effort ways to like, so one of the differentiating things you're going to have almost for sure, is your people will be more knowledgeable. Um, And so one thing you need to do is sell that a little bit. And I bet there are really easy ways to do that. For example, you know, most people, you maybe I'm going to get the details of how insurance works here wrong, but, you know, most people have some kind of open enrollment or there's like some period of the year where they're worrying about stuff. Instead of saying they're going to get contacted about this and then they're going to reach out to me a week before they get contacted just shoot them an email this could even be automated that's just like heads up i know this can be a stressful time of the year i'm taking all the stress away i'm going to tell you exactly what to expect you're going to get an email you yes you are going to have to pick a new policy but we don't even have to change anything like put a time on my calendar anytime that works for you we're going to be ahead of this and you're going to have it figured out by thanksgiving you don't even have to worry about that or you know whatever the pitch is that one email is going to send such a, a high like value, like, quality signal to them.
1: Yeah. A lot of this is timing-based and then mentality-based. It's not actually innovative. Um, mm-hmm. so, it's just being solid at like the, the
0: core fundamentals of being an insurance agency, basically. And a per- good person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, the, the fundamentals of doing any business. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's amazing that that will create a winning business, just being good people. Being good, thoughtful people. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I think I'm not the first person to say this, but I definitely ascribe to the idea that giving a shit is enough to be pretty great at whatever it is you want to do.
1: That's awesome. Um, I want to shift to, um, I want to make sure I clarify one thing. Um, I'm making some assumptions here, but it sounds like you're saying a coach versus a customer service person starts coaching the minute Someone starts engaging with the product or productized service mm-hmm. and it never ends until they cancel. Yeah,
0: I would strongly encourage you to like if you listen to sales leaders and stuff like that in SaaS, they turn it into an assembly line. It's like first they're talking to the SDR I and built then they're this, talking to the sales. I rep. built
1: this that people keep. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know
0: all about yep. it. Um, I would try to blur from the customer's standpoint, the experience from before their customer to after where they don't even notice the transition really. Um, this is mostly just me speaking as a consumer. That's what I like. But we've done that. And I think it's been, pe- people have commented on how they're like, I was on my free trial and I I wanted to talk to a customer service person, but the only people they would let me talk to is a salesperson until I paid. They, they really like that. It's just like, this is the person I'm talking to from now until you know i stopped using it yeah, it's
1: almost like a freemium product that is service mm-hmm. that you offer that ultimately leads to a sale but yeah. the customer never feels sold
0: yeah i we'll see if it works in this industry i'm optimistic that it will but th- this is all stuff we've been doing successfully um
1: what is um What? go ahead
0: well, I, I was going to maybe drive to a different, like kind of the next step of the conversation. Me too. Go ahead. So I was going to say, we talked about, you're going to do it yourself. You're going to figure out, can some of it be systematized through video or blog posts or something? What is the really high value stuff? When when you say something to a customer, when the light bulb goes off for them, can you figure out what those things are? And then maybe, at the, and then do it until you're at capacity. That's the point where... Okay, now it's time to bring in someone else. Can we talk about that phase so like you're you're bringing in people and now it's about training, making sure they're doing their jobs
1: well and so on? Yeah, I guess um I guess we could go there i, I what about who's the right person for this? Is this like a skill um <laughs> like who is are there people who would yeah. suck at this or the people who would be really good at it
0: yeah i've I've thought a lot about this, and my attitude is. A good, in some ways you can abstract what good customer service should be as it is sales with absolutely no quotas or commissions. So there's no financial incentive for the person doing it. And where instead of hiring, I'm going to stereotype here, but like a businessy salesperson, you're hiring like the type of person who would otherwise be a social worker. Like if you just give a sales role to a social worker, they're going to do Exactly what we're talking about here naturally. But the key is they have to feel intrinsically motivated to help people um, because with sales, you're motivating people by, like, you know, here's your commission or your quota, or it's either carrot or a stick. You don't, in order to give customer service, you can't do that. You can't say, you have to do 30 calls an hour or you're, you know, you're penalized. Th- that's going to lead to really bad customer service. You have to give them the freedom to do what they're going to do, which means they have to be motivated to provide awesome support without you doing anything to motivate them. Uh, Is this
1: the type of people you hire?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm using social worker as a, like, I'm not saying we specifically go after that, but like we we have hired people who are are, otherwise social
1: workers. What are like the three characteristics critical to a coach that you look for?
0: Yeah. The the number one is what I was just saying, just like the intrinsic. And I, I don't, I'm, that's not a meaningless modifier. When I say intrinsic motivation, I mean, you literally don't have to do anything. They will show up to work every day and be like, I've got time on my hands. I want to help the people. The thing I'd like to do most is help people. Okay. Yes. Um, teachers are another example of people who, you know, they they take way less money than they could make just to help people. Um, so that's number one. I think just overall intelligence is important, which you could like roll your eyes and be like, well, that's important at every job. But what I specifically mean is with an engineer... I might prefer someone who's not as like raw intelligence, but like their skill set aligns really well with what we need. With this, the point is they need to be able to adjust and adapt and handle whatever the customer is dealing with. And so almost like I think kind of how a consulting firm might hire people, just like, are you smart and able to think on your feet and just resourceful? Okay. Um, and then if I've got to have a third one, I'll say this, I've been really, really surprised by how important... Um, well, actually, I was gonna give a uh, I'll give a fourth one if you want it. The other one I'll say is they need to be on all the time. um some people are project based workers and some people are what I'll call system based workers or or process like a pro I'm a project worker. I will have days or weeks where I'm unproductive and then I'll like go on this rampage of getting stuff done. That doesn't work in customer service you you really need to be on all the time, but you can leave. You can leave work at work. When you go home at 5 p.m., it's completely over for you. So there's a lot of benefits to it, but like a lot of people don't enjoy
1: that type of work. Interesting. I really like that one. Um, my, I'm more like you where I, I'm i having one of those weeks of mild productivity, but I, I can feel momentum building for just blasting through a couple of weeks and getting mm-hmm. <laughs> a, an insane amount of stuff done. I would hate being limited to eight to five. Yeah, and being on I
0: think generally speaking entrepreneurs would be terrible they might be good at customer service for their own company but they they'd be terrible at do, it's just so repetitive and you just have to enjoy every little hour chunk it's not about this bigger vision the same way like what what you and I prefer to do is
1: Yeah, and it also seems like I'm thinking about distributed work doing a distributed workforce, remote workforce to start mm, and seeing how that goes. Nice. This seems like something that could easily be, d- be done from home.
0: Yeah. Well, our former, maybe your current mentor, Paul Zane Pilzer, always had this insight living in Utah. There are a lot of women who were school teachers who have kids and leave the workforce and then at age 45 or whatever, want to get back in the workforce. That's the type of person that I bet would be phenomenal at this. Right, they they were teachers. <laughs> they want to help people. They have like this is also a lot like parenting in a lot of ways, especially with health insurance where people are afraid and all that. I could see a lot of opportunity in Utah specifically for this.
1: Totally, totally. What um, yeah, I guess so. So I don't really want to go past this at the end of the day. It sounds like you know the type of person is really important. When to hire, we've covered mentality around the business model in terms of reinvesting profits into service versus product development i don't know that there's anything else to cover right now you know it when Mm -hmm. i'm i think like yeah obviously i'm gonna have to have an onboarding plan for these guys i think focus also focusing i think i'm ready to move to takeaways um unless you have do you have other things to add
0: let me just add one one or two potential pitfalls that I don't think you're you're experienced enough, you wouldn't run into these, but maybe the list, like I ran into these, so I figure I should just say them out loud. One is, um, I I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to delegate something with the first hire, and I think that would be a mistake here. I think the way to do this is you're doing all of it, then you hire someone and now you're doing half of it and they're doing half of it, and then you hire someone and you're doing a third, they're doing a third, they're doing a third, and maybe at that point you say, we've got this figured out. Let's, you know, start delegating the whole thing. I I think it's really tempting. A lot of people want to say, I'm going to hire someone, they're going to take over customer service, and I'm never going to think about it again. And if that's your differentiator, that would be a mistake here, I think.
1: I think you're right. Especially given my limitations in terms of the type of person who's, who could build this up, from scratch or like take it over on the first hire, it's probably going to be outside my budget and probably not the right person for the job because they're going to get bored in that job. They're a project person. They're mm-hmm. not going to be.
0: Well, or, you know, what, what we ended up doing, the person I hired didn't come in to lead a team of 10 people, but he is now like you could hire someone who could grow to that. But if you, it's going to be hard to hire a person who's already ready for that right off the bat. Yep. I think totally. I
1: think I agree. Anything else?
0: Um, I had something else, but it—I it, forgot it. So, is there,
1: is there anything like that. like major fail, like anything that you did wrong that you wouldn't want to, like you you would tell me to avoid?
0: Honestly, not really. Like I've made a million mistakes with less annoying serum, but um, customer service is one that we have, I think, gotten mostly right. And I think what it comes down to is there's nothing clever about it. It's boring, and it's just like you said, be a good person. Um, there's a whole different question of, can you b- do it profitably? And like, we, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. We spent so much time figuring out how to hire for it and all this, but as long as you just give a shit and keep the customer in mind, I really think it's not like that complex of a thing.
1: Yeah. And I really, i us I, move to takeaways. So my takeaways, I think the, I, I brought the subject up wrong, delivering awesome customer service for a low ARP ARPU product. Or ARPU product is very much like misleading. It's really, it's not customer service. It's coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, People don't want customer service. They want to. They want coaching. Um, That's what makes awesome customer service. It also is the way to do it for um, because it combines the sales. You can't afford to have multiple handoffs with a low ARPU product. It's got to be typically service or automated service or product led. And then supported by customer service throughout the full journey. I think that's a that's right. Um, I also liked uh, the idea of. I think there was something that shifted in my mentality around. Hey, like this business is not a software as a service. It is a productized service, and that means Rick. Instead of focusing on building product that people use, you're going to be focused on servicing people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love and automating it, yeah. that. That's great. and and that's that's where most of my time should be going. And until that's too much for most of my time, I have more inbound than I can handle. I shouldn't be worrying about hiring anyone else,
0: yeah. Also, like you're, I think, born to run a bigger company in a lot of ways. I think your skill set. And I think treating this like a productized service rather than SaaS will get you there faster in a kind of ironic way that you're going to focus on like bootstrapping the revenue in a much more direct way rather than like, now I'm not saying you shouldn't still learn to code if that's what you want to do, but you could take a much, much longer path to get there if, if it's a pure software play and you're going to do it by yourself.
1: Oh yeah, like totally. Um, I already see like immediate pathways to building, like automating things. Um, I don't need to do that, but I don't need to worry about that right now. I mm-hmm. just need to focus on getting better users and delivering awesome coaching to them. I just need to be a coach and yeah. i th- I think that uh, that's gonna change my whole messaging around the business honestly um, The other thing that I really liked was um I think the three characteristics that you gave m- made me realize that the, the if I'm going to start th- networking to fill these jobs down the the road i'm I'm probably thinking about I have the wrong people in mind um most of the people I hang with or are are young want to be entrepreneurs. They're not going to like this job Mm -hmm. and they're probably not. They might like
0: it for a year or two and then either they
1: need to move up or start doing something else or or they'll get bored. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and I, I think that's going to be critical. I'm realizing that, um, that, uh, I'm, I'm f- way further away from hiring a, a first hire in customer service than I originally thought I was, and that 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 actually makes me feel. I think that's what's reduced my stress the most from this conversation. Yeah, unlimited runway. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's the beautiful thing about building, about bootstrapping and building for, um, f- you know, for for your own self. It, it it really you really can take as long as you want to.
0: Yeah. And even I think a lot of bootstrappers out there, they inherit the preferences of investors. Even if you don't have investors, all the advice is like, you have to grow super fast and like it's all about speed. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be. You know, that's what I think Startup to Last is kind of about is if you're in this for the rest of your career, don't optimize for what you can do in the next year or two, optimize for what you can do in the next 30 years.
1: Yeah. And I could see this whole year going by without me hiring anyone and just me like I just got to be very thoughtful about hey 80% of my time goes to service and whatever I can do outside of that I'll put into the automating the service but outside of that like if I'm not if I'm not, if I'm not spending the vast majority of my time servicing coaching um yep. then I'm I'm doing this business wrong
0: and and by automating that might mean some no code stuff but it might just mean make some videos and put them on YouTube or something it, it could be some pretty low tech stuff potentially totally
1: stuff that I you yeah. know yeah. And the the cool thing about this is a lot of this stuff is exactly what I did at Zane Benefits and at People Keep for a far what I would say more complicated transaction. Um mm-hmm. and so I think uh, I actually think this is much simpler than what I've done in the past, which makes me very excited to to start rocking on this. Okay, thank you. I really appreciate the time. Awesome. Would you add anything else? Yeah.
0: Now, I'm I'm just really excited for this because I don't know anyone who runs another business like this, and I I can't wait for when you start hiring and stuff. We're gonna have so much to talk about here. It's <laughs> lo- gonna be awesome. I love it.
1: Um, uh, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's startuptolast.com. dot com. Also, please leave us a five star review on the podcast app of your choice. It really does help. So, if you can, if you if you don't mind, just just clicking that that review button, that'd be awesome. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. See you.